1: Hey, everybody, welcome to Campaign HQ. Well, uh, there could not be more uh, going on in the world. Um, I'll start with the primary race, although I I think most of our attention or thoughts are with uh, the increasing severity of the coronavirus. But first of all, we had another set of primaries uh, on Tuesday. Um, You know, uh, another very good night uh, for Joe Biden. Um, building on a Super Tuesday uh, wins, uh, expanded his delegate uh, lead pretty significantly. And, you know, Bernie Sanders spoke um, about his campaign. Um, you know, I think clearly wants to do the debate with Biden on Sunday. I'll come back to that uh, in a minute uh, and probably face the voters at least one more Tuesday. But, uh, well, you know, there was not somebody who gave the sense that they were going to go to the mattresses, um, who understood the reality of the delegate math. I think Bernie Sanders and his campaign deserve credit because they've been pretty clear all along that once it clears, someone is going to be the plurality delegate leader. Um, that person's going to be our nominee. So, and and Biden is likely to add to his delegate lead in a pretty significant way next uh, Tuesday, where we have Florida, Illinois, Ohio, and Arizona. Um, you know, Arizona might be quite competitive. Um, I'd be surprised if Ohio and Illinois don't fall similar to to what we saw in Michigan, and then Florida could be a. Know, 75, 25, 80, 20 kind of situation, and just given its size, a massive amount of delegates. Um, a lot of people focused on the debate, which was just announced today. It's, it's no longer going to happen in Arizona, it may happen in Washington, not with a live audience, uh, in front of uh, just in a t- television studio. I think the debate's important. First of all, um, we need to unify as a party. Uh, part of doing that will be Bernie Sanders and his campaign and supporters feeling good about the end of this primary. So if Bernie Sanders wants to compete a little bit more, uh, I think that's uh, more than fair. And secondly, you know, if Joe Biden is going to be our nominee, um, you know, it'd be good to to see how he performs in a two-person debate. Um, and, and hopefully he can uh, show the kind of performance he showed against Paul Ryan and, and Sarah Palin uh, back in '08 and 12. Um, and it's an opportunity, I think, you know, uh, for... Um, you know, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden—they—they they disagree on some of the solutions, but you know, I think they generally um, diagnose the problem. I, I think it's a way for them to show their advocacy for people, for, for trying to provide more health care to more people, uh, try and provide relief on student loans. Again, uh, differences in how they'd go about it, but um, and those are important. But but I do think it's a chance to remind people that this isn't just about beating Trump. I mean, there—it's not like all Joe Biden would do if he's the nominee or if he's president is beat Trump. I mean, he's got things he wants to do as well, really good important things. Um, They may not be the same as Bernie Sanders would do, um, but ultimately Bernie Sanders is, I think if he's not the nominee, will fight as hard as he uh, can for Joe Biden. um, And he'll be in the US Senate and will be an important ally uh, if Joe Biden's elected president. So uh, I wouldn't worry too much about debate. I mean, Biden's a front runner, so the moderators are gonna pepper him with really tough questions. That's what happens. I went through this in 08. Once we became the, the front runner against Hillary, uh, basically, you know, she was, um, um, you know, uh, prodding and poking us, and and the moderators were as well. So Biden will be under fire. There's no question about that. Um, but rather than say that's we don't want that, let's just move on to the general election. Um, you know, I don't think uh, there's anything wrong with some pepper here uh, to use a baseball analogy, uh, because he's got to get ready. Um, you know, I think the other uh, question really uh, is. How before we get to the economic and health effects of the coronavirus, is how will the situation affect the campaign? And clearly, it's going to affect it in pretty profound ways. Uh, there'll be no rallies. I mean, Trump is sort of idiotically still suggesting he may do some, but I assume even he won't. So, you know, you you can't go to big rallies. Um, you know, door to door contact uh, may be for a while anyway, um, harder to do. So, I think for all of us that want to make our plan for the general election, um, you know, we still have phones, we still have laptops, we still have postcards. Um, and, and we got to figure out what are we going to do, um, and that's you know my book came out last week. I want to thank all of you who've um, who've purchased it uh, and spent some time with it, a citizen's guide to to beating Donald Trump. If you haven't uh, yet t- t- checked it out, I'd encourage you to do so. But now's the time for us to make our plan. What is your personal plan of engagement? I've been in battleground states all week, um, uh, and last week, and it's really exciting to spend time with people who are going to be um, really at the front and center uh, of this. Uh, debate. I was in Madison, Wisconsin uh, yesterday, and and you know, point I make is um, there's people all over the world, not just America, who are counting on folks in, in Wisconsin uh, to get us across the finish line. So if you live in a battleground state, what's your personal plan for action? Can you be a precinct leader? Can you spend more time? And if you don't live in a battleground state, there's an enormous amount you can do Um, to affect the presidential election and and clearly local races. So that kind of activism is important. And we can all spend some time now when we may have a little bit more time um, thinking about that. Um, You know, I think in terms of, of, you know, how Trump's handling this, which, uh, you know, there's going to be economic impacts, unfortunately. There's probably going to be continued uh, health impacts, probably way understating it because they've been a disaster in terms of the tests. You see countries all over the world doing drive-through testing and testing a lot of people. And here's the United States of America just woefully underperforming. it's It's pathetic and inexcusable. um but but aside from you know, do we go into a recession, and if so, how long? How many people are affected by this from a health standpoint? There's huge societal impacts as as the nature of school and and work changes. Um, we see sporting events. Uh, All over the the world, big crowd events changing, this is going to be one of the more significant things we've gone through as a country. Uh, But at the end of the day, Trump's going to be graded most, I think, um, importantly by his performance. Um, and I think it's fair to say he'd get an F, and that may be gen- generous so far. Uh, he looks stable. He looks unsteady. He looks like a narcissist. It's clear he's he's worried about this less for our purposes as a country or citizens than his own political um, future. Um, he, he continues to suggest that this is less serious uh, than it is. He seems, quite frankly, annoyed by the whole thing uh, because it is going to make him work harder, and I think he's worried about his re-election. So I think it's an opportunity for... Um, you know Joe Biden gave a speech today, very strong speech, I think the type of speech that people would like to see from a president because no matter your party, um, when something really bad is happening you know to your country or your state or your city, you want the executive in charge to handle it uh, kind of regardless of the politics and, and just be on top of it and make good decisions and share information and be transparent. Um, and, you know, Trump is doing the opposite of that. So that's the other reason I think if it is clear that the delegate situation uh, is is insurmountable for Bernie Sanders, uh, really after next Tuesday, I think we'll be advantaged by having one voice in our party, and in this case, that would be Joe Biden, um, talking to the American people about what he would be doing, how he would handle this, where Trump is falling down. I, I went through this in 2008 w- with the economic crisis. You know, really in the last six weeks of that campaign, it wasn't like Iraq wasn't still important or care, but... People were really taking the measure of Obama and McCain about who could I trust to handle this crisis that was clearly going to be with the country for a long time. And I think a lot of voters are going to be doing that as well. I think Biden has an advantage in this standpoint because he's seen as a, you know, he's been in Washington a long time. He was the vice president. Uh, Obama was a newer figure. So in many respects, Biden should be more advantaged maybe in those comparisons. Um, but I think it's going to be fascinating to watch Trump because he clearly uh, it feels like a cornered animal. Um, and is acting out. Um, it's probably the worst Oval Office address in the history of the country, which is saying something. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if he tries to do a redo. But um, you know, more important is how it's going to affect all of us and our economy and our healthcare system. Um, but you know, for those of us that um, you know worry about our country's ability, uh, whether it's hospital bed shortages or the right relief packages for folks who may be war- uh, harmed economically. Uh, Trump is clearly not giving us confidence. So it doesn't mean that that means he's going to be easier to beat because seven or eight months from now is a long time. But, you know, this is the first time I think his rhetoric uh, and the reality distortion field he and Fox and others try to create is bumping up against reality. Uh, And I think that's an unkind um, comparison. So um, I'm really excited about our guest today. We're going to spend time with Andrew Gillum, former mayor of Tallahassee, Florida, almost governor of Florida, who ran such an inspiring uh, race, lost by 0.4% uh, of the vote. Um, and, you know, really remarkable, uh, despite that tough loss and how brutal and bitter it was, um, you know, he decided to start an organization uh, called Florida Florida Action, uh, working on voter registration, organization building in Florida, uh, and sticking with it, understanding that, um, uh, you know, to, to, to turn Florida to a state that we're winning more races, we haven't had a Florida governor in a generation uh, for instance uh, we haven't had the florida legislature in a long time um much less you know making it easier to win florida's 29 electoral votes that that was going to be hard work and it wasn't going to be the work of just one campaign or one cycle or maybe even one decade uh, and so andrew's really put his shoulder to the wheel and, and they're really doing great work in florida so i'm eager to have a conversation about that work about how he seized the state of florida in the general election there's a big debate in our party about whether we should contest it um Uh, My presumption is Andrew's going to agree with me that we have no choice but to try and contest Florida. Uh, He narrowly lost it. Bill Nelson narrowly lost it. Hillary narrowly lost it. Barack Obama narrowly won it twice. Um, it's always close, uh, and there's enough numbers down there if we do smart work to win, but we'll see what he says about that. Uh, and then I wanna to talk to him as a, as a former mayor um, who's had to deal with crisis and disaster management, uh, his assessment of this situation uh, in terms of how the Trump administration is handling or mishandling it, uh, but also some of the unique aspects of the coronavirus uh, in the state of Florida. So I hope you enjoy this conversation uh, with Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum, uh, thanks for being on Campaign HQ. Thank you for having me, good brother. Well, listen, uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about, um, and we're going to nerd out on Florida politics. But I want to start. (laughs) You know, you're former mayor of a a pretty darn important uh, city, Tallahassee, a large city in Florida, uh, obviously where the state capitol resides, um, uh, center of the both the politics uh, and and so important from an economic standpoint, uh, and you just know, you know, running for governor of the state so well. So as you reflect, obviously we're all very concerned on the most importantly the health aspects of this, and and, and welcome your thoughts there. But as you look at what could happen to the economy in Florida, um, kind of where does where does that take you?
0: Yeah, you know, I, this is this is a really tough one for the state of Florida, and I don't believe that we have. Really begun to feel the depth of the impact um, that coronavirus is going to have on the state, on the state of Florida. I mean, tourism is our you know, it's our bread and butter. People choose Florida to get away, to escape, uh, to bring their families. I mean, this was going to be a pretty big week, not just this week, but 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 the succeeding weeks um, over the next month or so, thanks to spring break activity. Um, hotels um, are being, you know, hugely impacted by uh, the decline of folks coming into the state. Obviously, no, we, we know about the airline industry, but, but specific to the state um, of Florida and the Florida's economy, the, the budget for 2021 20, uh, is right now being debated. They are close to a final vote on that budget. And that budget will not have absorbed uh, the economic shock that is likely to hit uh, the state of Florida. Um, the impacts of that economic shock will likely be felt in Frankly, in the two budgets that will come after this, um, um, uh, and I'm not I'm not envious of the legislature for what they're going to have to figure out. I mean, local businesses. Um, obviously, we're hearing down here if pe- people aren't necessarily in hotels and they're not necessarily in the state uh, of Florida uh, uh, on vacation, but they are buying up a ton of hand sanitizer <laughs> right. uh, to the point that you know we've got friends who we're calling out of state in less dense states. Saying hey, can you ship us some? Um, 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 uh, but 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 there are going to be some serious uh, economic consequences, and as you know, uh, uh, David, uh, following soon behind economic consequences are political consequences. Right. Um, twenty twenty is going to be an important um, uh, going to be an important uh, year for elections, and Florida will, in my guesstimation, continue to play a pretty pivotal role. Uh, and so it's going to be you know uh, uh, my my my. Well wishes go out to small businesses in this state. It goes out to the industries that rely so heavily um, on the Florida workforce to include the cruise industry. Um, and I understand you know, from Vice President Biden's speech, obviously the president's been saying for some time, some, some relief for those folks. Um, I will tell you, I do hope that right alongside that relief for companies comes relief for individuals, comes relief for people. Incentivize working folks, hourly wage folks, that if you're sick, you don't have to come to work. But if you've got to worry about paying your bills, keeping your lights on, putting food on the table, um, um, it it, 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 it doesn't matter. Most of those folks are likely going to want to have to show up to work, not because they want to, but because they have to in order to to make ends meet. So my my hope is if there is a bailout, if there is easing, if there is stimulus coming, um, I hope that that stimulus puts first and
1: foremost front and center the impact that this virus
0: is having on everyday
1: people. Right. Well, we'll see. So far, McConnell and Trump consider things like you're talking about uh, to be ideological wish lists, not necessities for human survival. So, uh, But but I agree. If anybody can get it done, Nancy Pelosi can. So I'm, I'm curious, um, obviously, given your population down there, um, you have a lot of elderly, out of retirees. Um, Florida as a state has not been hit as hard yet we're we're talking on Thursday afternoon in some other places but you know estimates are this is going to spread throughout the entire population so you know, what extra precautions need to be taken in Florida, do you think?
0: Yeah, well, well, David, I think we're both being a bit optimistic about whether or not Florida has been been hit yet. I think it probably remains to be reported, right. um, frankly, because of the lack of testing, testing. that has been, mm-hmm. um, you know, slow to roll out. But uh, Florida has the second highest concentration of 65 and older folks. Um, we're behind Maine, uh, and obviously that has something to do with you know density per capita. But 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 for us, that is a huge part of of the state's population. The the bottom three counties, um, you think of places like the villages, Ponte Vedra, Sarasota. Uh, uh, these are areas that we're going to have to pay really really close attention to. If 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 there were going to be a policy around preemptive testing, um, 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 even maybe short of symptoms, the first place I would go to would be to many of the senior facilities, nursing homes, senior housing facilities, and testing the workers, the employees who tend to be younger, where they may not exhibit um, 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 the, the signs of having coronavirus, but could be passing the virus around. I'm not wishing bad things on anybody. I'm simply saying that these are going to be places that we're going to have to pay particular attention to. The other thing, David, that I'm, that I'm, and I'm hoping that in these places, they're taking additional layers of precautions around who is coming into these facilities, um, um, how well-protected uh, they are when they enter these facilities, how protected um, the seniors uh, who are living in many of these places are. And I cannot leave out the vulnerable. We're talking about elderly folks, many of which are, are are older men and women of color who are living in trailer parks, are living in apartment complexes, are living in government subsidized housing that may not be in one of these centers, but sit at the most vulnerable part of, 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 of our state and of our population. What is going to be the effort to ensure that we're making regular visitations on these folks? What role do social organizations like Meals on Wheels um, um, uh, and others play in making sure that there's a healthy reporting back to um, uh, medical entities if they come across instances where you know usually Ms. Johnson is out on the porch or she answers the door and now you're having to leave the meals on the door inside of a, uh, a cooler? Well, to me, right. we want to go a little bit further to make Sure that those folks are okay. I'd liken it to Katrina, right? In the sense that um, you know, there were folks that were told to leave the city to get out. But if you can't afford to get out, if you don't have a way to get a ticket on a bus or you don't have a car that you can gas up to get out of somewhere, you can't leave. You just have to ride it out. And so- I'm thinking about these families that, that are just going to have to ride it out where they are, that are not under the normal watchful eye of, of healthcare workers um, who, may, who may suffer, where they, uh, suffer where, they, where they live. And so our state is going to have to, 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 to juggle with that, balance with that, and ensure that as much attention as we are paying to the uh, facilities, these well-known uh, uh, nursing homes and senior facilities, that we're also paying attention to indigent people who may not be able to afford to live in those places uh, 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 but right now, we're taking a residence in trailer parks and homes and
1: apartment complexes mixed in with the right. with the general population. Well, it's such an important and terrifying point, quite frankly, um, when you really think about the scale of how complex this is. Well, let's get to crisis management. So um, I think folks who, who, who maybe don't follow politics that closely or have never worked in government, you know, sometimes they can think, All of you are the same, right? It's like legislators, executives, and I always tell people, listen, we have some great city councilors and state legislatures and members of Congress, but, you know, at the end of the day, um, when a crisis hits, you know, they can posture, they can position, but a mayor, a governor, a president you have no option but to drop everything and, you know, put your own politics aside, your own party aside and just deliver. Yes. So I'm interested, um, and and I know that you're a Democrat, I'm a Democrat, um, but I think you probably have some unique observations about how the administration is handling this or mishandling this, just kind of crisis management
0: 101. Yeah. Well, well, the first thing is, is, It is critically important, and I actually think we saw it pretty well exhibited uh, by Joe Biden today, um, that that you give people the information, the honest, truthful, unmitigated information. Uh, You'd be amazing the resilience of the American people, that we can face facts, that we can comprehend comprehend those facts, and then make the decisions that are going to be in the best interest of ourselves and of our families. But when you got a mixed message coming from the president versus what is coming from the vice president versus what is coming from the task force, um, it leaves uh, a, a lot of people wondering what's honest, what's true, what advice should I actually follow? Um, and I got to put a plug in here for uh, the role that municipalities play here, because Mm -hmm. a lot of people think you got to look only to Washington D.C. for guidance and response, and while we want guidance and we want clear guidance, and more than anything, we want resources mm. uh, to flow from Washington D.C. down to the states and then down to uh, the municipalities. It's it's you know Florida is 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 a state of sixty seven counties. You're talking about sixty seven different emergency operation centers uh, that may need to be stood up with fire, police, EMS, social services, safety net. Uh, Uh, In that network, uh, human services organizations, your parks and recreations department, your school board. I, 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 as mayor of Tallahassee, uh, was mayor doing two hurricanes. These were our first two hurricanes in 30 years and they came back to back. We operated the the EOC, bought in a wealth of local resources of people who knew where um, um, uh, the, 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 the more indigent people were in our community who were not right now being caught up and taking care of in the social safety net. We knew where to dispatch resources. We created comfort centers inside libraries and other public places and got utilities to them so that people, uh, frankly, weren't dying of heat frustration. We saw that down in Broward County a few hurricanes ago where people literally died in nursing homes for lack of air conditioning, for lack of, 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 of power. So, so those decisions, many of them are being made by your mayor, city council, Councilmen, county administrators, your emergency operations um, officials. And, and what those folks are going to want to hear from Washington is some clear guidance. When can we get tests? Who can be tested? Um, how is the private uh, testing system porting that information back into the CDC so that we can get a real handle on how present uh, this virus might be in our respective communities? Uh, a fear that I have is that we don't really no i mean i heard the thousand cases and i just got to tell you i i in, in the wealthiest nation in all the world where people are able to travel where people are able to you know take trips vacations spend times in hotels um, um and travel the world um i'm finding it very difficult to believe that that is the the, the 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 total capturing of what the picture looks like in this country and so it would it it would not scare me to hear the president come out in his own words say look This is going to get worse before it gets better but we can get through this and here is our plan this is this is our triaging and then this is what the long-term picture looks like for this country over the next year um, as we sort this out we can look to Wuhan you know the fact that President Xi went and visited Wuhan that that gives a good sign of confidence that after the steps that they took um, they have now begun to get some control over it but to, but but again to hear administration officials right. talk out of both sides of their mouth that's a that's a very difficult thing the only the, the last Thing I would say on this coordination piece is I am really concerned about the capacity of our hospitals and our clinics, particularly in a state like F- Florida, where 23% of the people here are 65 and older. Will we overwhelm that system? Do we need to be thinking about the construction of, of other facilities where these individuals will be able to be treated, right. uh, will be able to be maintained? And, 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 and I just, again, uh, because not enough information is being
1: shared right now. I do wonder how well we're doing in that kind of planning. Right. So, no, but you're, that's a great. I mean, we saw what China was able to do, kind of almost overnight on news. Yes. So, I'm curious. You know, obviously, as former mayor of Tallahassee, you you probably still talk to a lot of people in that community uh, across Florida. Yeah. You know, when you just listening to you about um, kind of the three different pieces of information, inconsistent information. Um, are you hearing that from folks on the ground in Florida? I mean, is that adding to people's anxiety? It's it's totally adding to people's mm-hmm. anxiety. And, and you know what it
0: also is doing is it's causing cities to take their own actions based off of information that they have access to and who they believe and are making decisions like closing down school districts, um, 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 clo- you know, uh, um, uh, taking uh, precautionary steps that frankly may not be informed by science, may not be informed by the picture on the ground, only because as citizens see things being projected out of New York, or they see what's happening out of Washington state, citizens start to get to get concerned and say, well, why aren't we doing that? Shouldn't we be doing that? Is our mayor laying down on the job? Is our EOC not up and operational because we're not ready? And so sometimes it forces a bit of, uh, not a competition because it's, it's not that, but, but, but what you find is comparisons being made between how other communities are responding to this uh, virus, citizens seeing that because we now live in a pretty democratized um, society when it comes to access to information. So what happens? in Washington state is as present there as it is present in Pensacola, Florida, uh, by way of news. And so the citizens start to drive a little bit of this. And then you'll have unfortunate when when governments don't don't have access to really good information, really good data, and a really good plan, you'll find them making these decisions, which by all means, they're well-intentioned, they don't want this thing to spread. They want to be seen as taking care of their citizens. But sometimes those decisions may not be in the best interest of their community and may not be informed by really any real evidence to suggest that those are the steps that they should be taking. And that's, the, that's, that's, one, of the real, that's one of the real harms when you have a multitude of messages, um, a, a conception that there's not a real plan, is that you get this competition between places to sort of outdo the other as it relates to precaution steps, which, right. again, may not be necessitated by the science, by the data or by the plan.
1: So before we jump into politics, which may seem small compared to this crisis, but we do have an important election uh, in front of us, yeah. I want to ask you, um, obviously, Florida, uh, as you know, um brutally well given how close your governor's race was is a competitive political state we're not talking about a, a state that is red 70 30 but That's right. you know pr- probably just given the age of conservatives down there over index on fox news and i'm just curious as you talk to people in florida how concerned are you about that which there seems to be you know a pretty healthy percentage of our country that may not be taking the proper precautions because they're being told by, you know, Fox and you know that entire megaphone um, on the right that you know this is kind of blown out of proportion. Yeah,
0: you know, and that that's that is the real hazard. Uh, When everything is seen strictly through the political lens, this is actually a moment where the president can marshal Democrats and Republicans and everything in between toward a common, universal, nationalistic goal, which is to get control of 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 this current healthcare crisis have a plan and then enlist every single american to do their respective part so when you have the cdc and the task force come out and dr sochi particularly come out and say um, um. You know, it's not good to gather in large, you know, places and venues. But yet, you have the president later on that same day announce several more rallies. Now, my guess is is that this situation will continue to change, and he'll probably have to readjust on that. But, but just given in the sh- shadow of hearing that advice right. a, at the podium from the task force, and then having that contradicted, basically, I shake hands. I'm going to continue to shake hands. I'm going to continue continue to do this. Uh, Matt Gates, a congressman here from. Florida making a mockery by by putting on the gas mask and going down to the well of the United States Congress as a way to make fun of of, of this as if it's some overblown situation, only to find uh, that the earliest deaths in Florida from the coronavirus have uh, occurred in his own district. Right, and so I, I 'm not putting you know blood on his hands I 'm simply saying that that your office and the responsibility of your office requires you to rise to a different level. You have to meet the times, and the times that we right now find ourselves is a place of deep insecurity by most Americans. They want to be able to look to their leaders, trust them, trust the words that come out of their mouth, uh, understand the instructions, and then take their leave from there and and, and unfortunately Not only do you have members of Congress acting out and the President acting out, there now is a major echo chamber, uh, you know, known as Fox News that again is giving far too much weight to this idea that this is some Democratic hoax to undermine the President's reelection bid. You know, some things can be above politics. I'm not Pollyannish to say that politics has nothing to do with this, but by all means, when it comes to saving and protecting lives of Americans, by God, set it to the side and focus on being President of all of the United States, and this just this, this this disease seems to be indiscriminate when it comes to Democrats, Republicans, right. Independents. It may it knows no party affiliation, and so I, I I I disagree vehemently with the president across a whole range of public policy uh, 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 issues. But I'm actually praying for some success uh, uh, with this president when it comes to frankly, demonstrating the leadership that his office requires to, to help guide this nation through uh, through this challenge. Literally, lives hang in the balance. He seems to be most concentrated on the economics that hang in the balance, but lives are the ones that hang in the balance. And I think that the economics is largely driven by the fact that people don't believe that this man knows what he's talking about. They don't trust that he actually has a plan to deal with this. His press conference or, or, or speech last night Probably raised more concerns uh, than it settled them uh, for for, for most people And so this is an opportunity for presidential leadership This is an opportunity for us in in a bipartisan way to say Look, we've not faced anything like this, but we will get through it But we're not going to get through it without taking the appropriate steps to keep you, your family, your neighbors safe And inevitably the country safe by having done so
1: Man, I wish you were elected governor of Florida, Andrew. Oh, uh, oh <laughs> listening man. To you and And millions and millions <laughs> of people down there. So let's, um, if it's okay with you, actually, I'm not, I don't want to ask you about the primary because I think, you know, Biden's headed to a big win down there and probably a big delegate yeah. win. Uh, if it's okay with you, can we jump to the general? Yeah, of course. Okay, so start with a simple question. Do you think Florida should be one of the core battleground states for our nominee in the presidential election? Without a doubt. Any conversation that takes
0: Florida out of the mix of being a battleground, if not the battleground state, is a miscalculation. It is misinformed, and it potentially allows the Trump campaign to reallocate significant resources to states like Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Arizona. Uh, 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 Ohio even, even though we know that's, you know, moved a little bit further out of our reach, it, it allows them to put uh, money that would otherwise go into the third largest state into these other states when they draw the conclusion that Democrats are not seriously competing. And let me just try to make the quick case, which is to simply say Florida is a 1% state. You know it better than mo- you know it better than most, day, right? I mean, Barack Obama won this state twice by one point. Uh, 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 Donald Trump won the state by a little bit more than a point. We know what happened with Al Gore and 537. And the last 20, in the last 24 years, the last five races for governor have been decided by less than one point. And in my case, by 0.4% out of 8.5 million people voting, which by the way was up from an estimate of 6.1 million people voting. We came near presidential level turnout in the 2018 race. And my race came down to just 30,000 votes difference. Now,
1: the president understands what's at stake. So I just, because I violently agree with you, that, you know, we see is now probably a dark blue state, right? Iowa, we yeah. won it twice with Obama, now going to be harder on a presidential sort of those shifts. But the one constant is Florida. So I guess my question for yes. you, and, and your point of the core battlegrounds last time uh, in the Clinton-Trump race, you know, Florida did have the biggest turnout increase. It was over 11%. And that's a state where Hillary got, I think, 250,000 more votes than we did. Uh, but Trump, you know, identified about 450,000 more. That's right. Um, so I think some people think, well, it's crazy to think it's because he's like a resident, but, you know, because, <laughs> you know, is is this just a place where he's going to blow out turnout so much in places like the panel? But why is it? Because when you go through those statistics, it, it could not be More close, and we'll get to your work in a minute, which I think is super important in terms of this. Why do you think people you know, they'll even say, "Well, Arizona, North Carolina, for sure," and folks aren't sure Florida. I know it's big and expensive, but why do you think that is? Because your race, Bound Nelson's race, Hillary's race, our two races—you mentioned yeah. all the governor's races. I mean, they literally are on the margin. So why do you think people are so skittish about saying we're all in for these 29 electoral votes?
0: Well, I won't disqualify what you said, which is big and expensive, as being one. Right? They think they can take those money, that money, you put it in a put it in a in, in a in a blue wall, and basically get a bigger bigger bang for their buck. Well, listen, Wisconsin's got what, tens of thousands more working class, uh, um, uh, high school educated or under uh, white uh, uh, folks there. And it looks like they're working hard to get those folks engaged mm-hmm. on, the, on, the, on the Trump side, not trying to take it out, but I'm simply saying it's not like we're dealing, you know, it's not like we're dealing with a force that is going to be stagnant on the right, other side. Right. The force on the other side will be immense. They know the scale of the challenge. And more importantly, what they know about Florida is that the president cannot be reelected without the state of Florida's 29 electoral votes that is a fact uh, 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 he, he will not return to the white house uh, if 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 florida can be moved to uh, to the to, to to the blue column part of it i think is is that People do see other paths to victory that don't include Florida, which could be cheaper. Now, I I could spend a lot of time talking that one down. Um, Another uh, thing I think that that people confuse Florida with is they look at our Hispanic politics and they're very confused by it. Um, And I've tried to write a little bit about this, uh, illuminating the difference between Florida Hispanics, the Latino community here, and uh, the Latino Latina community from the West. We don't perform uh, in the same way. The politics here in the state of Florida for our Latino community is as even running for governor. If I did not go into Doral and talk first about uh, 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 Guardo, one being the democratically elected president, and two, or really in reverse order, calling Maduro the murderous tyrant that he is, and then acknowledging uh, 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 Maduro—I'm uh, I'm, sorry—acknowledging Guardo as the leader, I can't talk to them about healthcare mm-hmm. and the economy and infrastructure and environment because I haven't shown that I. I see them first. Same for Nicaraguan, uh, mm-hmm. same for Colombian. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very, very, very radically diverse constituency here, and it's not one that we can't win. It is one that right. we can win. And in fact, I think we can win it in better margins, but it is going to take a much more nuanced and surgical approach to those communities, a community to, to, to Puerto Ricans and, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, 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 to Hispanics and Central Florida that may focus on the president throwing toilet paper and us delivering a message about respect, Respect may not be the same message that you're going to play uh, uh, in Doral. In Doral, maybe you need to talk about the fact that the president himself, a power that belonged exclusively to him to extend temporary protective status for Venezuelans, he has repeatedly refused to extend TPS to that community. And as a result, we are experiencing record deportations in the Venezuelan community, out of the United States, largely out of the state of florida talk about the fact that he plays you know as if he's a friend to exiles here yet he has more in common with strong men around the globe uh uh uh, uh than, than than any president in, in, right. in modern history in fact probably in history so so there is a case to be made here but it is not going to be the lazy route you know this because you <laughs> competed in this yeah, state it's hard. you all did impressively well in miami by the way um uh, uh with hispanics where a lot of people think we can't get killed Cuban vote and, right and, and, narrowly but and, and we And in the want Cuban it. vote. Yeah. And by the way, the next generation Cuban vote that we ought to be focused on. But they can't hear us if we are frankly, you know, lifting up the 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 the, the, the Castro regime and and literacy as as something to be hailed. And and again, I've shared this with the, you know, with the Sanders campaign that that the truth is is that those are not comments that just get resigned to Bernie Sanders. In Florida, Hispanic radio is a huge, huge piece of the communication flow from folks from Venezuela back into the United States, here from Florida, throughout uh, uh, the community in the, in, the, in the diaspora. And so it's important that we have strong Democratic voices standing on the side of right so that they don't get to project the comments by one to be the policy of Democrats for all. And we have to work this constituency. In the way that they deserve. Not showing up last minute, but being in that community. And, and I'm hope don't hate me for saying this, but Rick Scott perfected that model yep. in an era where Trump, you know, was throwing toilet paper at, at at Puerto Ricans. This is a man who made significant inroads in the Puerto Rican community throughout the I 4 corridor, which I believe was in part responsible for the closeness of that race and, and his ultimate success. And so Latinos, like blacks, are not a monolith, but even more so, the diversity of countries uh, of origin and, 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 and relation um, is so intense, you have to understand that Latin American policy is American policy.
2: Selling a little or a lot? And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
1: ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices Andrew, listening to you talk about the complexity of the state and we know how large it is and how expensive, um, you know, maybe it can 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 make give people pause. But my view on this is, you know, this is, the fate of the world is at stake. I mean, this is the most important election, I would argue, at least since 1860, (laughs) which is saying something. And Mm. so if you've got an ability to win an electoral vote anywhere, uh, there's no excuse not to play, no matter how expensive, how complex. You know, you just talked about basically you've got to run a bunch of different campaigns in Florida to win, not one. But, you know, this is a checkmate. This is 29 electoral votes. So, um, you know, hearing you say this, I I hope folks who are making this decision um, in Philadelphia or Vermont, depending on our nominee, go all in. Now, let me ask you out. So, Florida, what's interesting is Trump still won it with less than 50 percent of the vote, but it was the of all the battlegrounds, the lowest third party vote, three point two percent. We'd obviously like Mm -hmm. to see that lower, but I think you can really draw a lesson. So as I mentioned, Trump did blow out turnout here. He got up to four six. Do you think it's possible he could he could get up to five million, five one? Like, what do you think the outer range is? And then we'll talk about what we need to do about it. The point is not lost on them around the importance of the state of Florida. Uh,
0: Some say he changed his residency to get away from Tish James and all of the cases that are being (laughs) opened there. Uh, uh, I think it was much more sinister sinister and political by nature. Um, But the campaign manager for the Trump Trump campaign right here in Florida, working out of central Florida, um, they're, they're digging their stakes deep. Now, we didn't think this was possible in a state as diverse as Florida, but they had a hyper white turnout, number one. Two, they went into the Haitian community Donald Trump himself into Little Haiti and the Haitian community and campaigned there um, 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 uh, uh, basically trying to splinter off that constituency to say, we've got more in common. We share religion. We share hard work, right? Dividing Haitians from the rest of the black community in the state of Florida. Going after black men, which they have already announced pretty aggressive efforts uh, toward doing here in, in, in 2020. You know, this message of you know what do you have to lose um and and now they've got woke vote which they're opening offices around around the country now now i'm of two minds here one um do i think he's legitimately trying to win the black vote no but what i believe he is legitimately trying to do is reduce the margins right and and through suppression not just the legal form of suppression which we can talk about but through through the idea that the other side is no better than me take the devil you know over the one you don't or by the way just don't vote at all that this is you know you know, it's of no consequence. And the problem for that message, David, and this was something you all in many ways were Able to overcome because of hope and change in the historic nature of 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 being the first and having Barack Obama certainly in the 2008 uh, 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 cycle. That doesn't mean you didn't come with it he- with its headwinds as well. It did, but 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 the but but part of the advantage that you had is that people wanted to be a part of that history, including in the black community. So an effort like that would not be as successful. Right. But if you've got crime bill. If you got parents, just need to read more to their kids. There, there are a couple of sound bites out there, and I don't want to do the work for them. I don't want to go through all. Yeah, of but that. we're we're gonna but see it. Is,
1: yeah, we're gonna see a lot. We're of gonna that see in ads. it. Yeah.
0: And what that will be intended to do is to diminish the enthusiasm there and to suppress the vote, uh, particularly by by communities of color and to go aggressively after uh, black men, particularly on this issue of, of of criminal justice reform, which is simply a repackaged, watered-down version of what the president tried to do, but the Republicans wouldn't, President Obama, that is, and, and, and the Republicans would obviously not let that uh, let that go through. And he's doing these token things, which, by the way, play well in the barbershop conversation. And so... We can't be caught flat-footed. Uh, uh, my
1: concern, and, and I'll stop because I feel like I'm on a, on a, on a soapbox. But it's important for people to understand what they're going to do. People have to like, understand, despite him mismanaging this crisis and his approval ratings, he's going to be tough to beat in Florida and elsewhere. So people have to understand what we're up against. He will be tough
0: to beat, and it will not just be in Florida that this effort is undertaken. It'll be the, it'll, it'll be the uh, urban area of Pennsylvania. It'll be Detroit. It'll be, uh, it'll be uh, 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 Cincinnati. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Wisconsin. It's going to be all of these urban areas where they feel like they don't have to have everybody. But again, in a state like Florida, where we win and lose in the margins, one percent, you can get enough. The other thing I think he wants to signal, largely to suburban white women, is that he's not the creep, the racist, the 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 the, the, the horrible, you know, person that so many people believe him to be. I, I think in some ways he wants to say, you know, hey, hey, I got a black friend. You know, I'm doing things. Things that, that uh, I said there were good people on both sides, but listen, uh, we're trying our, our, our best to make sure that people of color are doing okay in this country um, as well. And again, that message is likely not going to be resonant for the overwhelming majority of black people, but could it send a signal to some uh, uh, suburban whites that maybe he's not as awful, maybe he's not as bad on some of the things that they would normally find repulsive that you know, this time around, you know, m- maybe, he's, maybe he quails that a little a
1: little bit. Right. So uh, before we jump into the work you're doing, and it's it's definitely connected to this next question. Okay. Let's say there's a scenario where Trump, you know, puts on the board, you know, uh, you know, 5.1 or 5.2 million votes because he just blows turnout. To your point, he's gonna find yeah. everybody who ought to have a MAGA hat on that doesn't and register him turn them out. Yeah. Somewhat similar to what Gore. I mean, what Kerry faced with Bush in 2004. And again, I think we saw the beginnings of it in Florida, even though he had more of a ramshackle campaign last time, very strong turnout. So if Trump puts up those types of numbers, I still believe we can win, but I think you probably do. So tell us how do we win? I mean, you've talked about the complexity yeah. of the Venezuelan community, Nicaraguan, community Haitian, uh, Cuban, Puerto Rican. So obviously we need to do the right type of work there to get the right kind of vote share and turnout. But how do we put this together uh, to get a win number? Yeah, yeah. So so, so, so but again,
0: getting five, you know, five plus million. And by the way, Democrats just crossed the threshold of registering five million Democrats in the state of Florida. Congratulations, man. That's great. Uh, uh, Thank you for that. More than Republicans have registered in the state of Florida. And by the way, you know, a third of the registrants in the state of Florida are independents or no party affiliates. Mm -hmm. So we're also dealing with people who we're not communicating with over the course of the primary. Most folks are not, you know, sort of um, um, making these folks to be the important swing voters that they can be. And I don't consider them to be swing voters just because they're independents. I actually think that this is a constituency that um, um, uh, can and, and, and will move our favor, but we got to reach out to them. We got to have the right message for them. And, and obviously the right candidate um, is helpful here. I think the swing vote um, and, and the way that we you know, really turn up the heat here is that we go after some of those folks who did not participate. And I don't mean, while Hillary got more in 2016, there were folks who fell out of that process. Mm -hmm. largely young people people of color and poorer folks and so i also consider black men a part of it by the way i consider that part of the swing vote by the way and i know that's a radical redefining Mm -hmm. of how people think of a swing voter but you know this better than than i do four million fewer people voted around the country between 12 and 16 Mm -hmm. um they are part of the swing vote they weren't necessarily going to go out and vote for donald trump but could those have been our people Could there have been our voters who sidelined us? And so I said this the other night on television, Biden may be on a fast track toward the nomination, but what will get him the nomination will not get him the presidency. We cannot be resigned to uh, uh, to going at the con- a constituency that's just tired and frustrated and annoyed by this president, and think that America has lost its way and that all of the founding principles of this country have come under, under compromise by by this leader. While that may motivate some, I will tell you, I think it largely motivates the people who are going to vote anyway. We have to. To have a message for those people who need a reason to go out and vote. And they are not going to vote on a return to the status quo. That will not be a compelling message for many of those folks. And I'm calling them out. They're younger people. They are people of color. They're poorer folks. And by the way, you better talk to black people about more than criminal justice reform. You better talk right. to them about economics, wealth building strategies, small business ownership, micro lending to black women for uh, 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 startups and business development. The the, the nuance that is going to be necessary here will disqualify the laziness of our campaigns. And and, and I would say with the exception of what I saw from you all, because I remember going and volunteering in South Carolina and getting a piece of paper two weeks out from, from one of the offices and being on the third or fourth pass on a door. And based off of the information that the people who had come before had gathered, I was able to have a much better, much smarter, more intellectual and compelling conversation. Conversation with a voter than if 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 we had not hit those folks or we were hitting them at the last minute, right? right? And so 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 I think we win a couple of ways. One uh, one I think we talk to these these marginalized voters who we would consist consider low propensity voters who may just find it as simple not to vote this cycle. Why? Because their lives felt like they didn't change from the last administration. They feel unchanged under this under this administration and may say what 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 the hell is the harm. Um, 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 um. I'll take the devil I know over the devil uh, that I don't know. Two, I think that we can, th- there's some strategies here that we ought to be pursuing around vote by mail in Florida. We are, we are, we, are, we ought to be targeting those individuals who we have classified as unlikely voters, mm-hmm. low propensity voters, and going to those individuals to solicit them to request vote by mail, which puts you on the vote by mail roster for two general elections. Vote by mail because that gives us a month, a month and a week to communicate with those folks. See when they turn in those ballots. If they haven't turned in those ballots, send organizers out to flush that ballot out. I'm talking about Democrats. These are people who, if they vote, they will vote for us. We've got to get that surgical around our uh, around our process. And and, and the only, the last thing I would add is we need to go. Uh, uh, last year they purged something like 400,000 people from the voter rolls. They're they're on the roll again here in Florida with the with the, with the with the, with the pur- from the voter rolls, the first folks we ought to be prioritizing on the re-registration side, and this is something that Forward Florida Action, the, the, the organization that I'm, I'm proud to chair, um, has prioritized as a part of our work. We are pivoting from general voter registration, which I think somebody should be doing, uh, toward the effort of going after these folks who have been purged, because I think these purged voters are probably the most promising of, of a voter that we right. have out there because they've demonstrated the propensity for voting before. That's very so smart. now let test some right. messages that can move them from, you know, I voted once or I voted twice and then I fell out. Why did you fall out? How do we get you back in? And then chase that ballot until that ballot shows up at the ballot box.
1: So that's super smart. So, so let's say we do, um, as hard as it is, everything we can do to maximize our vote share, uh, in, in the very, um, diverse elements of the Hispanic community in Florida. And we do what you're saying, which is younger, a minority, disaffected. We still, my question to you is then you've got, um, you know, suburban votes. And then, you know, the question is, um, do you think we do have to er- erase um, some of Trump's margin in the panhandle and other rural counties? Like, what's the what's the yeah. last piece of this? How, how, how well do we have to do in those two elements of the electorate?
0: Yeah, we gotta lose less, right? In those places, <laughs> yeah, those right. are, those those are not counties that we are going to flip from. From red to blue by any stretch of my imagination, but one of the things, for instance, that I did in Duval County in my race uh, for uh, for governor is we had, to your point, suburban white women who found my opponent to be offensive to their values, who started organizing in Ponte Vedra Beach and 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 St. Augustine, but the closest place they could find you know fellow community with people who were voting for me were in Jacksonville. And these people work the beach community. A lot of people think it was just the black town turnout in the most urban part of, of Duval County. Well, it was that, but it was also uh, these, these, these suburban white women who were a tremendous part of, 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 of my re-election, uh, my, uh, rather, I should say, my winning Duval County, which had not gone to a Democrat in a generation and the race for governor, right? So we got to get back in there.
1: Like, well, for instance, Lawton Childs, right? Is that right? Or I don't know. Maybe That's, that's right. Super, yeah, that's wow. exactly
0: right. Wow. So so, so we've got to get back in there and continue to be in community. I, I will tell you, David, I am, I'm hopeful from what we saw from some of these governor's races, um, uh, some of these special elections where we saw suburban women move at a pretty nice pace uh, toward Democrats, electing us to elect some Democrats in places where we didn't think we would be able to win uh, uh, some of those governorships. Obviously, Virginia being the standout there, but that's been years, uh, you know, years of work. Let's not give up. Let's not give up on that on that on that constituent right um and, and i have to tell you i do fear that what we're competing against is supremacy, and and I don't use that word as 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 a word to suggest to suggest racism. Um, what I use supremacy in the term when I think and I think uh, uh, the Trump campaign did an effective job here is that they were able to convince white women, based off of their proximity to white men, their white husbands and their white sons, um, um, that it was better to have a Trump in office for their for their for, for their family. Uh, uh, goals in place in society maybe not for their own mm-hmm. and so how do we talk to uh, to to women about their own individual interests treat them as a sole singular constituency who you know is not going to be motivated simply because you know uh, 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 of a woman candidate or or simply because they are women in fact many of these folks sort of detest that idea um, but but to go at them on the issues that we think they care about and so for this for this part of the state. I don't write those individuals off. I think we got to go at them. And that's part of losing less. You don't win the state of Florida by, you know, winning Miami-Dade, Broward, Palm Beach, losing, you know, this county, that county, and that county. Uh, you win the state by getting one more vote than the next person. <laughs> right. And that vote may yeah. come from anywhere right. <laughs> throughout the length and the breadth of the state of Florida.
1: Yeah. Even if 10, 10 million people vote, 10 and a half million, you, we got to keep that mindset. So luckily for our nominee, I'm worried to your point that, that you know, just listening to you talk the complexity of winning Florida, uh, is is really profound. But it is winnable. I, I think we can't worry about it is winnable. the polls of today. It it's is what do the votes look like we can produce on the third. But luckily for them, you're down there. And, and you know, you basically lost a tough race, uh, and you decided to to redouble your efforts in Florida. Um, so talk about the work you're doing with Ford Florida. Um, and and both in relation to the discussion we just had, you mentioned you're doing some really smart work with some of the purge voters. But also, uh, obviously, you're, you want people to contribute. And I'd like you to talk about that. But how else can people help you? Because I think the work you're doing, obviously, this could be a backbreaker for Trump if we win Florida, but you know, for the right. future of our party in our country to be more competitive yes. in Florida and more races could be enormously yes. important. So the microphone is yours, sir.
0: Well, yeah. look, look, I, I try not to abuse it, but I, I, but you've opened it up, yeah. uh, David. Uh, what 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 I will say is. Um, I had a choice to make after I lost the race uh, for governor. And that was to sort of withdraw and go do my own thing. And I get why nominees before me have done that. Or at the age of 40, where I don't think, you know, my, my future in this state, I don't believe it to be over. Um, um I'm raising three children all five and under um, in the state that I was born in miami-dade a state that I love a state who that I credit with everything um, that I've been able to accomplish my my family the love of them the support of them but also good teachers who were paid wages they could live on um, also you know uh, social safety nets that caught us when we happened to you know fall and not be able to make ends meet so 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 I'm I'm I know that story well because I've lived that story and and, and I would reject anyone's description that Florida is a red state. Florida is an unorganized state for Mm -hmm. the purpose of Democrats. Mm -hmm. We have not had a Democratic governor in 24 years in Tallahassee, Florida, and so they have been able to build. Organization inside election cycle, outside of election cycle, immense resources, which Trump, I shouldn't say that, which certainly (laughs) uh, put put our resources in the shadow by comparison. And even still, they're only winning this state by one point, or in my case, 0.4%. And so, what we decided to do was when I looked at the numbers uh, on the registration side, when Obama was on the ballot in Florida in 2008, Democrats had a registration advantage over Republicans of almost 700,000 more registered deities. Democrats than Republicans. When I was on the ballot, just fast forward 10 years later, that advantage shrank to fewer than 250,000. Right, So a precipitous decline in our registration. Um, 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 It was actually uh, uh, your colleague, David Axelrod, who Mm -hmm. called me and said, Andrew, you've got a challenge there. This was after the race. He said, I didn't want to call you during the race, but I was looking at your registration numbers, and and God knows everybody who's registered doesn't vote, but it certainly helps to have a couple more marbles on the table, that way if a few (laughs) fall off, it doesn't cost you the whole game. And he's completely right about that. So we turned our attention to, you know, sort of writ large, raising money, raising attention, raising profile. I started not just Forward Florida, which is my political committee, and I'm going to say a word about what we're doing there, but Forward Florida Action, a C4, to raise the necessary resources to invest in these groups that largely get ignored outside of presidential elections. Right? right? To to invest in those people who are going to be here, who have cultural competency in the communities that they're working in and who care deeply about these communities because they come from them. The, the, the staff there are being hired from them. Their leaders reflect what those communities look like. And so we wanted to invest in those groups. And we've continued that. Um, frankly, aside from Organizing for America, this is, this is th- th- aside from that effort, this is probably one of the few I remember happening in what we call quote unquote off cycles or non-presidential cycles, where we're trying to do this kind of level of depth of organizing within our community. Um, We we, we are also trying to uh, get folks to, again, look again at Florida as an investment over time. And you made this point, uh, David, um, um, and, and setting this question up, which is, Lord have mercy, if we ever plan on flipping the third largest state in America, it's not going to happen overnight. We want to pull a page from Virginia. Mm -hmm. We want to double down on our efforts year in, year out, in election cycle, outside of election cycle, state, as well as federal elections, doing the difficult work of democracy. We call it the difficult work of democracy because it's not easy. And frankly, as I go out and I talk to organizers in this state, I try to remind them, and, and I'm careful about this, 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 this example, but thank God Dr. King didn't give up. Rosa Parks didn't give up. These were people right. who were sacrificing. They were sacrificing for a country that they were not certain they would ever inherit. Do you know what it means to sacrifice for something, to give for something, to give life and livelihood? for something that you don't know that you will be able to be the benefactor of. They did that. And so we've got, we've got a responsibility for not just my children, but the children of this state, the future generations of this state, to do that work. And I think people have oversimplified Florida and basically said, well, the browning of the, of the state of Florida is what's going to turn it. That, that demography is destiny. It is not. Right. Why? Because people can make the choice to stay home. And why is it not? Because the other side can, can come up with a message, target that message, move these people, emotionally and get them out, even though they are screwing them left and right on the other side. So we've got to recognize that as part of our our, our challenge, but it is an opportunity. I see it as a tremendous opportunity, not just for what happens in 2020, but 22 and 24 and 26 and beyond. Finally, there are 16 house races that I won, Hillary won, Nelson won, or came within a percent of winning that sent a Republican to the Florida House of Representatives. We are 14 wow. seats away from flipping the Florida House. That
1: is such ripe, House. Yeah, such ripe yes. targets. Yeah, such ripe targets. Yeah.
0: Yes So we're saying You know what Everybody thinks that the presidential drives the turnout How about this We're going to flip it on its head Let's invest in these races And I've been raising money And have given You know Over 120,000 so far To um, um, uh, These These house races uh, In the state of Florida To signal If we compete If we're willing to fight If we put a candidate out there Who expresses our vision Right now We're coming Within 49% Or we're winning them I won nine Legislative seats That sent a Republican To the Florida House of Representatives, right? And so we have to compete on these and there's probably no more important time to do that than in the advance of the decennial census and the redrawing of maps where we know we have a situation of elected officials choosing their voters rather than the voters choosing their elected officials. We're gonna flip that on its head, but we cannot do it by ourselves. Um, if you are interested in, in in learning more about what we're doing, follow us at forward Florida action, um, uh, forward uh, FLA, uh, we got handles, follow me. Uh, make a contribution, sow a seed. Maybe you're in a state that we're not worried about your electoral votes, but you understand the importance of the state of Florida to being pivotal to the outcome of who is the next president of of the United States and maybe the future of democracy, period, certainly for the next four years, maybe then you want to say, you know what, instead of giving in my state, I'm, or in addition to giving in my state, I'm going to give in the state of Florida to help these efforts. We have an ambitious goal for, 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 for raising, but but we are co- we are confident that if we do this work, not only can we flip Florida for the president, we can flip the House, we can get control of this redistricting process where we have truly reflective districts and we can set Florida on a pathway to being organized and producing residual Democratic wins.
1: Well, brother, that is such a stirring call to action. So for those of you that believe in the mission Andrew Gillum just laid out. I hope you'll check out him and, and the organization and help because, you know, in addition, you know, we we've talked a couple times. I mean, the Electoral College is like a chess match, right? And and it's almost checkmate yep. if we win it. But, you know, you think about um, a vision where you know you do elect a Democratic governor there, uh, maybe in '22 legislature. You know, Texas may not be right there, but it's coming, right? And so you think about California, Texas, Illinois, New York, Florida. You know, eventually Georgia. I mean, just leaving aside the presidential race, just that means a hugely larger percentage of our countries living under progressive government. And, and the benefit to their yes. lives is, you know, is enormous. So, this couldn't be more important. And I think your point that we we can't look at it election cycle to election cycle. We just got to do the hard work. And the C4 work you're doing is so important. It's such an undernourished part of the ecosystem. So, really applaud you for that.
0: Well, thank you for that, uh, David. It means a lot. And thank you for allowing me access to to, to, to this platform. This is how we'll change the, the, the state. If we could look at states in silos, that'd be one thing. We can't afford to look at states in silos anymore. We're about to have a United States Senate where, by and large, the majority of Americans are the minority of the United States Senate. We have right. got to start fighting back. And Florida is battleground state number one, uh, I believe, to flipping. So again, join us at ForwardFLA.com. We'd love to have your help. We'd love to have your volunteerism um, um, uh, as we try to flip this state.
1: Well, Andrew Gillum, thank you again for being on here. Um, Thank you for all the work you're doing for your state, your party, your country, and the world. And also, I just want to say what an amazing... um, model you are um you know you lose a tough race that looked you know like it may be one you'd win um and i'm sure it took a few days but for you to dust yourself off and decide you're just going to stick with this and not on your own behalf but on the behalf of, of millions and millions of people in Florida, uh, I just couldn't be more admiring of it. Hey, uh, David, not to, not to
0: lessen your point, my wife thinks it's my therapy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, she, well, she, maybe, but it's, it's uh, like it. whatever the rationale is, uh, a lot of people are going to benefit from it. Uh, and uh, that's the goal. Uh, it's really just heroic and patriotic work. So thank you, Andrew Gill. I appreciate
0: that, brother. Keep lifting these up, man. I, I appreciate you and, and Godspeed for all of us.
1: Well, what an inspiring person, uh, and I hope that was a motivating conversation with Andrew Gillum. Gives me confidence that uh, we have a chance to win Florida. I violently agree with him that we need to contest it with everything we've got, as hard as it is, as complex as it is, as as expensive as it is. But um, the work he's doing and his passion for how important it is, um, I think, should be highly motivational. So I would encourage you to check out his organization, Forward Florida Action, and and learn more about what they're doing, and if you're so inclined, uh, to help them with your time or or your financial resources, uh, and just you know, hearing Andrew's I think view of um, what it's going to take to win Florida um, really suggests that uh, we have no time to lose. And and those of you on the ground, you don't necessarily need to wait for our nominees campaign uh, to get on the ground, Um, you know, start organizing now, start tapping into groups like Andrew supporting, but um, we we can't afford to lose a day. Uh, And then, of course, you know, listening to someone who would have been such a great governor, uh, was such a strong mayor, uh, talk about how the Trump administration is mishandling this crisis. Uh, And some of the really unique challenges uh, faced in the state of Florida, both economic and health-wise, I think were both terrifying and fascinating. So I really appreciate Andrew being on the pod. And look forward to spending time with you guys next week on Campaign HQ.